Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. You know, when we think about leadership, what are some of the characteristics and qualities that come to mind? Is it somebody who is arrogant? Is it somebody that's egotistical? Usually not. Usually it's somebody who is humble. The other one is a leader driven. Are they moving forward or are they kind of lazy? So are they, do they, are they hungry and do they hustle? Well, today we have an expert on leadership development, also personal development, professional development, has worked with a lot of leaderships and organizations all around the world. He's authored the book, Humble, Hungry, and Hustle. Brad Lominick joins us on the show. Brad, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate you having me on, man. Well, it's always great to have and meet new people and kind of go through people's journey. And as you know, we mentioned before we got on air, is we always like uh, to share the journey, the story of the individuals who come join us as a guest on SOS. So, Brad, you know, where were you born? What were sort of your roots and growing up and some of the values that you had going on there? Sure. Uh, born in Oklahoma, so just outside of Tulsa and grew up in the great state of Oklahoma. Um, I, you know, for many of your listeners, they probably haven't been here before. Uh, but if you have, it's a, it's a great place to grow up. And then went to school at University of Oklahoma, which is the school you go to if you, if you grew up in the state, and was a history major, which is worthless. Anybody who's a history major, raise your hand and then realize Well, well that, let's just back up. Brad, I'm an interruptive host, but in a nice way. And so sure. the reason being is, what were sort of the family dynamics in, in your, your roots? What did your parents do? Uh, one was an educator, and the other, you know, had a had a, uh, a job at a local bank, so pretty, you know, middle class, um, football coach. Was, besides being a principal, my dad was a football coach, and so, you know, in a small town, that both both a blessing and a curse. If you're good, uh, then it's a blessing, and if you're, if you're not good, then it's a curse. So, fortunately, oh. we were, we had a great program, so uh, football was sort of life in a small town in Oklahoma, and we were, we were really good, so that was a that was a big part of growing up was was part of the sports fabric of the town and being a, the son of an educator. You know, you're everybody sort of everybody knows you in a town of five thousand. You whether you like it or not, right? I get it. I get it. I understand that. Well, that's. I mean, if you think about the American culture and just how many fans will come out even to a high school football game, it's like just about everybody. If unless you're in a wheelchair, and even some of those people make it out. So. That was amazing. Right. Now, did you play, Brad? Did you play football? Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're an average or better a- athlete in a small town, you you end up playing every sport. So I played football. I played basketball. I was a, I played golf. You know, I mean, I I played every sport in every season, and uh, really, you know, I saw school and athletics can as an outlet for I would say both expressions of excellence as well as the ability to kind of rise to the top and, and be a leader. And, mm. you know, for anybody who's anybody who grew up and were captains of teams, you, you understand that, you know, that sometimes that happens by accident and mm. sometimes you're, you're the best player. So you're therefore the captain, but most of the time 
you know, the captain of the team or the person who sort of steps up and steps out are the ones that naturally are leaders. And this was true for me. It was true in early parts of school. I mean, I, mem- I remember being in, you know, first grade and the within the first couple of days of school of first grade, I knew all the kids in the, in the class. I was doing trade deals in the cafeteria by, you know, week two. And so, uh, excuse me, grade one trade deals. Like what were you, uh, what were you trading? Well, you know, the classic case of somebody brings the hostess cupcake and the other person brings the nacho cheese Doritos and I've got a milkshake, but I really want to, I want to trade for the cupcake and I'm trying to figure out how do I keep the cup get the cupcake and keep a milkshake. Um, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And that was both signs of, of business development and, uh, wanting to be successful, but it was also that just that sense of, of we, you know, we, I remember in elementary, we, we decided, Hey, we want to have chocolate milkshakes, not just vanilla ones. And mm. I led a, you know, I led a movement of students to say, we're going to rise up. We're going to rise up and make sure that we, <laughs> we have, uh, we have, you know, the, the kind of milkshakes we want in our, in our cafeteria. And it just little stuff like that, you know, you start to see these embers and sparks and and the the coals in the in the fire of your calling, and of the way that you've been designed, and the what the the DNA that God's put into you naturally, um, and again for me it was it was to be a leader, mm. you know what, it, and that's that's true for all of us, but I think it's it's really true for some of us that we mm. we start to see those things emerge even in our in our childhood and um, you know early education years, teenage years, high school years, so. You know, every student council potential position I ran for, I was president of the class, I was valedictorian. I mean, I, I just I had this natural desire to step up and step out and mm. to be in charge, but also to to um you know, to try to try to be in a place where I could influence and impact others. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Brad. Now interesting, some people get in these positions but they're not necessarily is desirous to influence, they're more around the desirous to control. So some people mm, use yeah. this condition. The other thing that you said, Brad, which I want to emphasize for the for the listeners is, you know what, I have a book called The Quest for Purpose. Is part of what you were talking about is that you were paying attention to the clues that life was leaving you. And these clues were this was the natural, it was something that was that you were sort of in flow or in the zone or whatever word you wanted to use, which comes out of sports. Uh, that you just paid attention to that and you said, I'm going I'm to go with that. So what would you say to the listeners about, about that process and how you were at that age even able or willing to kind of pay attention to that? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And it, I mean, you know this, Ken, like it's, it is the number one question that everybody wrestles with is what am I supposed to do with my life mm. and, and why do I exist? You know, what, what is my purpose? And what, what's the bigger story that's going on here? And I, I didn't really, I didn't really have the handles in, early in my life. I mean, I knew there was, there was again these things that I naturally just loved to do, um, but I didn't know how to describe them. I didn't really have a clear sense of, of even what how to explain that. Um, but looking mm. back now, you know, I think I, I think I discovered sort of my statement on my life, which is to influence influencers. That that that's my purpose. That's my calling statement. I just want to I want to impact people who are impacting people, and that's true. If I'm doing a conference, it's true. If I'm doing you know, if I'm advising leaders, it's true. If I'm writing books, it d- doesn't matter. Um, but when I when I 
finally figured that out. I was about 20, maybe early 20s. Mm. And then I started looking back at my childhood and thought, gosh, I can see now all these signs of that. I can see all the places that that showed up. And, and so, you know, that's, that for me was connecting the dots is really important. When you, when you do something naturally as a child and you don't know why you're doing it, many times that those are the things that when you, if you're struggling right now with, you know, why are you here? What, what's your purpose? What, what does that look like to really understand the way you've been designed? I mean, look back on the times when you did stuff that you weren't getting paid to do it. You know, the, the times you were just naturally doing it because it, it was the natural thing to do. And mm. that, that was always true for me. I mean, I just, I just, in any environment I was in, I wanted to connect people. I wanted to, I wanted to step into the places of, of, of power, not because I wanted power, but I, but I love being able to, to set in those places and then figure out how to use that effectively and with the moral, with the moral compass, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was in the eighth grade, and I was thinking about, you know, how do I get to be part of the chamber of commerce in our town? And I would go into, you know, the local bank where my mom worked, and instead of walking in and just sitting down and talking to guests who were there or anyone, I would, like, beeline it to the president's office. And I would go in there and just sort of pepper him with questions, you know. So for, for me, there was just always that natural inclination to, to find the people who were in places of power and start to connect to them. And politics, you know, for me growing up, I, I think that was the outlet I thought would be the most appropriate because it just seemed natural. It was like I'll either be a, I'll either be a politician or I'll be a pastor. Those seemed like the two things that had the most potential to impact people, and I chose neither. Uh, you know, but that was, that seemed to be the, the route I was on. And mm. then I went to, went to college and discovered there was a lot more things potentially I could do. Uh, and then ended up, you know, in, in, in the places I've been where it made more sense to do leadership stuff and put on conferences and gather leaders instead of, you know, just choosing one of those other paths. Well, awesome, Brad. Thanks for that. <clears throat> and my encouragement is, you know, I'm not sure about how many listeners we have who are 19, 20, 21, 22, but there are many who have kids that age that are listening. Sure. And one of the sidebar in, you know, my wife works as an academic coach in a university, is, you know, Brad got clear around 20. If you're not clear and you're 22, it's okay. Just start the journey. Don't get into a guilt process. Just be intentional with paying attention to the clues. And so you were paying attention to the clues, in fact, probably earlier than many. I, I write in one of my books a story, uh, Brad, where my aunt asked my 12-year-old son or 11-year-old son, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And I'm not sure if that's an appropriate question for a 12-year-old. They haven't really got reflective yet. And so everybody wants you to know when you're that age. But usually it's that 20 range, 20 to 28, 29, before we get that clarity. And it's okay. Yeah. Well, and, and Ken, my, I mean, I, I got, I may have gotten clear on the, on the why statement of my life at 20, but I, I still was not clear on the what. I mean, I was for, for all of my twenties, I would say I was, I was getting great experience. I was, I was, um, I was saying yes to things, you know, I was putting myself in places where I could discover how to best, I would say how to best live out this idea of influence influencers, but it still was not it still was not in the perfect spot for me. And each season though, each season of assignment has led me, I think, to find 
even a closer connection to that why. Um, but I think a lot of 20-somethings, you know, you struggle with that sense of, well, should I say yes to one thing that hopefully is the ultimate answer to, to you know, being, being the closest to the why, or should I say yes to anything that will hopefully lead me to a better answer? And I would say uh, the advice to young leaders is, is, is to say yes to lots of things mm-hmm. because it will lead you to the best yes, you know. Like we, we, we put too much pressure on a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old to, to, you know, declare a major and then say, well, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. When many of them, at that stage of your life, you're going, I'm not, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, is business my route or is, is you know, is marketing my route? And so the best way many times to discover that, that sense of calling or the purpose or the best job or the best assignment for you is to, you know, have have five of those that you go, that was a great experience, but it's not really that yet. And then that sixth one, all of a sudden you go, man, this is this is it. This really connects to me. Well, thank you, Brad. When, Brad, one of the things you're mentioning for the listeners is that determining what you don't want to do in many ways can help you to decide what you want to do. And so you, you can do this exclusion and say, okay, that's not on the list anymore. Guess what? My list is shorter. It's more refined. And so that refinement is, says, okay, you know what, I, I was going to try that. So now you don't get confused with going down a path that you know for sure is not something that really encourages you. Now, let's go back to your journey and, you know, my wife working at a university. And there's a lot of pressure when you think about the dynamics of the cost of people going to university now or college. It's enormous. All the parents want you to do a major. You do a history major. What was, what was driving that choice? Well, the notice my judgmental it, well, tone, Brad. It was. I, I, I sense that in you, Ken. I sense the uh, really, like really question mark. No, um, okay. I, you know, I, I thought I wanted to go to law school, and so I wanted to be able to to have both a, a degree that would, you know, connect well to that, I guess, as a first step, but also I just really liked history. It was just something I was interested in. I'd always been interested in it. It was something that, you know, I'd, I'd sort of consider myself a, a history nerd in some ways. And it just seemed like uh, a, a subject that I would find some passion points on. And I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's worthless in terms of what to use it for, you know, now that I look back. But I, w- I would have much rather, in hindsight, been a business major or, you know, focus some skills around some practical areas. But that was it was mainly just because it was something that law school at that point seemed like a good idea. Uh, mm-hmm. I never went to law school. So, you know, again, strike two for me. But that that was the reason for the history major. Well, great. So now you finished college, you finished university, you've done this history major. What transitioned for you after that? What occurred? <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was going to go work on a on a on a ranch, like a cattle ranch slash guest ranch. I mean, city slickers in Colorado. And I did go work there. Uh, I was going to stay for six months, and I ended up staying for almost five years. And how I was going to How go, did that happen? Where, where did that come well, from? Well, yeah, I mean, probably a longer story than we have time for. But, it, you know, it was one of those places that a fraternity brother of mine in college had gone to and worked for the summer. And he said, hey, you got, you got to come be a part of this place. And I said, okay, great, you know. I'm going to take six months off before going, coming back to law school and I'm going to go p- play cowboy in the mountains. And I did. And it was such an amazing place, Ken. Like it was just one of those things that, you know, it, 
you're in the mountains of Colorado, you, mm. you're, there's, there's guests who are there. And, and this goes back to the hindsight. And in hindsight, I didn't realize who was coming as guest, you know, and I wasn't smart enough to even put the dots together. But after being there for five years, and I was the ranch foreman, I mean, I, you know, I stepped into to a pretty important role leadership-wise at this place. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a five-diamond guest ranch in the middle is, of the mountains. Is, is City Slicker is now the ranch foreman, and you were responsible for all the cattle and the horses. Is that correct? Ex- yeah, exactly. So isn't that scary that I didn't know what I was doing? Uh, I was like one one chapter ahead of the students, you know, as a substitute teacher in some ways. Um, my my bias is coming out, Brad. I, w- I grew up on a dairy farm, so this is sort of where my, my oh, question me? was hey. coming from. So I have that agricultural background, and I was just smiling. Well, no, that's that's amazing, man. I, my grandfather was a dairy farmer in Oklahoma, so we, we have that connection. So continue on. So you, you become this ranch foreman. Yeah, so I'm working on a ranch in Colorado and, and riding horses, and this is all, like, you know, from 21 to 26. But the, you know, the people that were coming there and bringing their families and that I was connecting with as guests were – these were captains of industry. These were, you know, CEOs of companies. They were – they were heads of large organizations. They were the influencers. And mm-hmm. I would get two hours a day for seven days straight on the back of a horse with people who are really, really, really impressive and had lots of influence. And, and I learned, Ken, in those days of, you know, two hours over the mountains riding a horse. I learned how to ask good questions. I learned, you know, how to connect with people from any background and experience level. And I, I was taking, you know, 60 year olds out and I'm 22 and I'm, I'm having these great conversations with them and helping them think about their life. And here they are incredibly successful and running, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. And who am I, you know, I'm a, I'm a cowboy I'm in the middle of Colorado, but these became lifelong friends. You know, they like, these are the people that I still would call great friends that, have families and Mm -hmm. I got to connect with them in a, in a very, in a very important place for them, you know, when they're building memories with their family on a vacation. So all, all of that made sense. What what a, uh, what an opportunity when you think about it, Brad, as far as being able to be what, you know, what was that training? What is those exposure? What is those relationships even worth? It's priceless, right? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, even now, like I can think, I can think of a handful of people that I'm still close with and, you know, some of them are, are governors. Some of them are, are senators. Some of them are CEOs. And um, that was, it was just, it was one of those places that, you know, again, in your life, the arc of your life and you mm. look at it and go, that makes no sense. But that was a, that was a, that was sort of a God design moment and connection point for me that allowed me to, to really like, I would say find my sea legs in terms of my calling. Uh, but I, it wasn't the route I thought it would be. It wasn't politics. Mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't being a junior senator. It wasn't, um, you know, being an intern in a, in a Fortune 500 company. It was riding a horse in the mountains of Colorado next to people who had influence. Wow. Now, I, I, we're going to come into your new work here and your, or your work now here in a moment. But as a reflective sort of comment or reflective thoughts, what were some of the things you were learning from these leaders at this time? You were mentioning that these are very successful individuals, but yet at many times 
they were sort of figuring out why they were there, what mm-hmm. their reason in life was. Explain or go deeper in that for the listeners about those situations where you have these very successful individuals, yet these other questions were coming up. Sure. Yeah, great question. Um, many times it was, it was that their life was completely out of balance and out of whack, and they were, they were using a week in the mountains of Colorado to try to gain back years with their kids and their, and their families that they had lost. And that was just a kind of a neon flashing sign for me of, mm. you know what, Brad, like you're 22, listen to these lessons and start to build habits into your life that will make you won't, that you'll make sure you don't end up where these people are. And again, incredibly successful, more money than they know what to do with lots of power, lots of authority, lots of influence, but you know, their kids are 14. And when, you know, when you really get down to the nitty gritty, they're saying, I've, I haven't, I haven't spent the last 10 years of my, of my, of my life as a parent truly connecting and being in the life of my child. Um, that was a mm. big one that I've probably heard more than more often than not. Um, mm. The other one was many of them were at that half point time or, you know, their half time mm-hmm. in life. And they're saying, I've been successful. Now I want to be significant. And I just, I, I listened to that and would say, okay, great. Like, I appreciate that. But Brad, now what are you going to do? And I said, I want to be successful and significant. I don't, I'm not going to wait on significance. I'm going to, I'm going to choose both, you know, as soon as I possibly can. And actually significance doesn't mean you have to have success. So that was, those were two that really stood out for me of mm. don't, don't just, you don't just look at your twenties, Brad, as, as like the, the, the ramp up. It's, it's not just the opening act. I mean, it is the act and it, I'm, I'm not just like in a, an intern or I'm the JV team during my twenties and even my thirties. I'm not, I actually have the ability to use this first half of life to, to make a really big difference and be successful hopefully at the same time. Well, it's interesting, Brad, and thank you for that, that what you're saying is just because somebody's very successful does not mean that they really have it all together. They have one area that's right. been really good, yet there are other things that we see it all the time in Hollywood or other words where they've been very, very successful, but there's other things that really don't look that good. Drug addiction, on it goes. I want to backtrack to one word. And for the listeners, have you share your definition of significance? So, you know, what does that mean? So I, I have all of this success. Where was the disconnect for the leaders where they said, I, you know, aren't I impacting in this environment? And where was the disconnect with the word significance? What, what does it mean and, and how are they missing it? Yeah, I think, I think in, in, in those situations, and what I would say is true, um, is that, you know, significance is sort of the plus one of success. And sometimes we see success as something that impacts me and, and it really is fueled around me personally, but significance is where you start. I think you start to get into the place where it's impacting others. And that, that's the, that's the fulfillment in many ways, I think of, of true success is that, that question of, is it going beyond me? You know, mm. is it, is it actually reaching beyond even, and even when I say me, you know, even family, like is, is all of the power and authority and success and money and, and, and positional title and accolades and all that stuff. What does it ultimately, what does it ultimately do once you've achieved it? And if it's helping other people, then I think, again, that's the true definition. 
of what success and what significance is. But if it's mm-hmm. only helping you, then that's short-sighted. And it's still successful. Like you can still look at somebody and go, man, you've achieved a lot. But if you start digging into, well, how far does it go? And the how far does it go is, is the part, again, for me, that I want to make sure that I'm, I'm extending my success as far as possible and impacting as many people. So that's why I say, Ken, all the time, like, you know, my years of running Catalyst, which was, is a big conference and big events and building platforms, and is I always said, if I can use this to build a platform that other people can stand on, mm-hmm. then I'm winning. And I, I may stand on it. Um, but I don't have to, but if I'm putting other people on it and I'm elevating them and they're, they're now able to, you know, in many ways be in the spotlight and I'm in the shadows. And I think for me that that's what I want to, that, that for me is the, is the ultimate definition of where mm-hmm. I want to get to. Well, thank you, Brad. And, you know, I'm, I can't agree more with your statements there. And a couple of words came to me as you were talking about it is that, and this is not a judgment, this is this really more observational, is just because somebody is, is really, really successful in one area, a lot of time there's a veil and they're emotionally bankrupt and pride and ego is taken over versus what is the number one word in your, uh, your book is humility or being humble. Mm-hmm. And we don't stand in judgment in that is just a lot of times what we see and what people put on Facebook is not really what's going on in what you found on the ranch is what's really going on because they're being authentic they were sharing on what they were really really feeling versus this mask that I have to put on so thank you for that right yeah well and I was just you know again I'm a I'm a cowboy I'm I'm very trustworthy in that in those situations I'm not another CEO I'm not their board I have no I have have no you know authority over them you know so uh, when you get in those places of 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 the, 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 the times where you sort of put down the facade and you mm. drop the, you, you raise the curtain, you know, it, it, it was just, it, again, it was such a, such an honor for me to sit in those, mm. in those places and hear people's stories. Um, so anyway, that was, that was one of those seasons of life that I never expected to happen. But looking back, it was just an incredible time. Very rich, very rich. So Brad, cowboy, and now what was predicated or drove the, the situation of transitioning out of that? Where did you go from there and, and what drove that? Yeah, well, gosh, I mean, how do you, yeah, people ask all the time, like, you went from cowboy to now what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, I know. Doesn't connect at all, does it? Um, but through, through, some, through just some, some friends and people who actually came to this ranch called Lost Valley as guests, uh, they, you know, I got connected to John Maxwell. And many of your, of your community will know John Maxwell. They probably read a bunch of his books. And, you know, in many ways, he's, he's been a grand pooba of, of leadership. And I would say the last 25 years, in many ways, defined the, the category of leadership, written tons mm-hmm. of books. And so he had an organization in Atlanta, Georgia, that was doing conferences and events. And I got connected through some friends and started working with him and his organization and and uh, at that point, this was, you know, 2000, uh, 1999-2000, and we, were, we, we, we launched a, 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 a new movement, a new conference called Catalyst at that point, and it was really designed for younger leaders. And I was in my, you know, I was in my mid-20s at that point, late-20s, and so I got to be part of starting something that we looked around and said, we really want this to be for us, 
you know, if, if we have to define the category or the customer, the customer is, is, is us. Like it's the team we're put, they're putting this together. And so the first one we did was 2000 in Atlanta, Georgia. We had about 1,500 leaders that showed, showed up, and, and it was a bunch of young leaders. And so that was the start of something that for now the last 15 years has been, I would say, you know, everything that I've kind of built my platform on or at least been known for or has given me opportunities to write and speak and be part of this, of this world of leadership has been through that outlet. So John Maxwell gave, gave him my chance, Ken. I mean, wow. he, he really did. He, he, well, that, that's, he had uh, that's a privilege great. there too. What's that? I said that's a privilege there too. Oh gosh, yeah, and, and you know, you watch guys like uh, Ken Blanchard or John Maxwell or Stephen Covey or any of these, you know, Peter Drucker. I mean, all these sort of patriarchs. I think of of leadership and management the last mm-hmm. fifty years, and this was true about John. Like he was, he was, he's now in his seventies. He at that time he was in his mid fifties, and he had a bunch of young leaders hanging around him, and it's it's so powerful when you see. Uh, you know, the, the folks who sort of are sitting at the top of the food chain and they, they always are bringing young leaders with them. And that was true for John. There was a bunch of us just hanging around, mm-hmm. you know, we were working for him and, and kind of interning in some ways and just a bunch of knuckleheads, but we all just sort of flocked to him. And when, and we got our chance, you know, and he gave us chances to build stuff. So that was, that was just a huge honor to stand. And now, now today, you know, I'm standing still on his shoulders. Mm. Well, it's interesting what you're talking about, Brad, is that, you know, the principle of if you give, you're going to receive, and you really can't out-give the receiving is in some ways right. foreign to certain parts of the population, but you've experienced that in, in many, many ways. Now, Brad, you now actually have a podcast called Catalyst Podcast, correct? Yeah, and, and that was, I mean, we started that, uh, gosh, 2005, and it, that was all part of the Catalyst movement, you know, doing Catalyst events. And, we, yeah, we started doing that podcast back when nobody was doing podcasts. I think we were number one on iTunes, Ken, for like four weeks straight on all of iTunes just because nobody, like, nobody else was on it. We, we didn't have that many people listening, but it was easy to be number one when you were like number one of 100. Well, you can um, own it so, still. You were still number one, and you can't take that away from you. Now, are you still doing you, the, the podcast? I still occasionally, yeah, I do some interviews here and there. I mean, other people are now hosting it because um, I, you know, I stepped out of I stepped out of running Catalyst as a as an organization a couple of years ago. But I'm still involved. I mean, I still show up at the events and I still do interviews for the Catalyst podcast. Um, but I've moved out of being the you know the co-host and pretty much doing all the interviews. But that was a great. I mean, that's where I got to gosh interview some of the legends today mm-hmm. and many of those were people we had come and speak at our conferences so that was it was such a isn't it i mean it's amazing now just to see the 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 way when people say to me brad i'm not sure where to start as it relates to learning and i'm not sure how do i begin this leadership journey i'm like are you kidding me and there's there's more resources available today than ever before just mm-hmm. just start i mean truly like you're if, if you're trying to make come up with excuses of there's barriers to entry then you're not playing and you know you're not playing the right sandbox of reality because we have so many things available to us today including your podcast absolutely well thank you exactly exactly and who knew i mean even i mean you started in 2005 and that's uh 
Well, it's not the reason you're a number one. Though now, I I would hesitate hesitate to guess. There's just hundreds of thousands of hours, if not million and millions, every month being posted in a podcast or YouTube channel or something like that uh, every month. So yeah, there's absolutely no excuse. My phone is actually my uh, transportable learning. I was just sharing with a friend. Yeah, trans, I was just sharing with a friend. I probably consume anywhere between 30 minutes and three hours of podcasts every day. So wow. that you ju- you just have to be on it. If not, have to. I want to be on it. I just uh, consuming it. So from there, I, I, we only actually have about 10 or 12 minutes left. But I want to transition. You you've now got this expertise. You have this book out, H3 Leadership: Humble, Hungry, Hustle. Let's spend our last time, uh, our last minutes there, Brad, about what's in the book, what did you learn? You now have this expertise, all these experiences from all these different venues and individuals. What can you share with the listeners so that we can go to this next level? Sure. Well, the, you know, the humble, hungry hustle is my leadership mantra, and that's that's been true for, I would say, again, the last 20 years of I want to I want to be humble, I want to stay hungry and I want to always hustle. And I think everybody understands what those are just as categories. And what we try to do in the book, Ken, is we try to build some habits and actually lay out some habits for doing those three things. And so there's 20 habits in the book. I can't I don't want to go into all 20. I'll, I'll give you a couple of highlights I would think sure. would be helpful. Um, you know, the first in, in the and really, the, I think the undercurrency of humility is self-awareness, and it's it's the it's the ability to really like understand and, and know the true you. And a lot of us, when we're in leadership, we have a hard time with with authenticity and self-awareness because the higher you go up the ladder, the the more susceptible you are to to be to live in reality deprivation. And everybody tells you what you want to hear. Everybody says, yes, yeah, so that's a great idea, Mr. President, Mr. CEO, Mr. Executive Director, you know, Mrs. Founder. And we have to really fight against that. So I would say lean in as much as possible, wherever you are in the journey, to becoming, first of all, the truest version of yourself, but also that you, you start to live out this premise of self-awareness at all levels and vulnerability and transparency and authenticity at all levels. And if I interject, days, go ahead, go ahead, Brad. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to say the old days, the old days leadership was built around this premise of, you know, fake it till you make it. Listen, don't let anyone see anything you struggle with. You, you always portray your best self. You put up mm-hmm. the best facade possible. And I just think today, you know, especially now more than ever, the authenticity you, you show and demonstrate actually gives you more influence. If, if, if you connect with people that, you know, you don't have to be the perfect leader. You just have to be a real leader and everybody already knows your weaknesses. Anyway, they, they already know the things you struggle with as a leader. They, your team can, can write the story, you know, of the, of the things that, that you're not great at or that, you know, Oh, you mean Joe? Oh, Joe has temper tantrums. You know, every, every seven days, Joe's going to blow up somewhere. And Joe's Joe's, Joe's responsibility at that point is, is to be as, as aware of himself as his team is. And, and sometimes that's just really hard. Um, so that's the first step is humility, meaning that you're, you're incredibly dialed in on self-awareness. Now, if I may interject, that is the expertise that CRG and our company has is that 
our number one quote is that in self-awareness, all things are possible. And because we have this right. myriad of assessments and tools, and just I was privileged just to spend uh, a couple of days ago a one day in New York with Marshall Goldsmith, the number one executive yeah. coach in the world. And so sure. he said part of the number one requirement for him to coach executives is they need to be willing to get feedback about their condition with their stakeholders. And you have to be humble enough and get your ego out of the way. He says part of the problem with life is that you need to kind of be driven, almost prideful, not quite arrogant, but confident to get to a certain level. But that's not what's going to do, what's not going to help you to be a leader of others. So you have to shift gears. And so thank you for that, uh, Brad. That's really a, an important insight for individuals where, you know, the word self-awareness is really coming anywhere, you know, mindfulness, whatever it is, is that I am conscious of the impact I'm making and my behaviors are having at any given moment. And, and everybody struggles with this. This, this, is, this is the true piece of this. I mean, you know this is true, but we all uh, wrestle with that sense of is, is what is true about me, is that, is that okay for me to be aware of and to, to, with my team to make sure that they know that I know? And that's where the disconnect many times is. So um, that's the first. That's the first part. I mean, the the hungry piece. You know, you can. We all have an understanding of what that is. It's it's the just that posture that says, I'm going to constantly be a learner, and I'm going to constant. I, I never arrive. And I love. You know, John Maxwell for me was the many ways the lesson of this, Ken. And I still see John today. Like I see John at conferences, and he speaks, and he's there as the keynote. You know, and if there's another speaker, though, he's he's going to be as much as possible in the front row with his little with his yellow pad. You know, he's got the four colored pin out that has the blue and the black and the green and the red, and he's got his yellow pad out and he's taking notes. And I I just want to be a hungry leader that has the posture that my moleskin is out and I've got my pen in hand mm. and everywhere I go I'm I'm taking notes of of people and. The classroom is, is life. You know, I mean, a lot of us think once we get out of college that we're done. Now I can just coast. And that's when your greatest learning starts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the hack here on this one, and we all know this is true, but just a reminder, is, is great question askers are the ones who immediately gain credibility. And every mm-hmm. great leader I know is curious. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they're at the top of the food chain or just starting. They, are, they walk in the room and they start asking questions. And so I want to be that leader. I want to be the, the most curious, the best question asker in the room. Even if I might know the answer, I still want to be a, a, a person who asks really good questions. So that's the hungry. And then now, the hustle, I'm going to stop you, you there, know. Brad. I, I want to emphasize oh, yeah. the Jump point in. for the listeners, for you on this, is that so many times, probably, Brad, we've gone to situations where this person – who wants to go to a new level is in front of an influencer, somebody who has really proven themselves, and they won't shut up. They keep right. talking about themselves. You learn nothing if you're the person doing all the talking. And so when we think about that self-awareness and that consciousness, and I just want to emphasize, listeners, what Brad just said, you be the best question asker in the room. And you know what? Your knowledge already is not what's important. Your learning from the people in the room is what's critical, and that only happens if we're not talking. Well, and you, so and you honor, you yeah, you honor people 
by asking them a good question. Mm. That, that's actually a, a place of honor. When, when you elevate someone by asking a good question, you automatically honor the person you're asking because what you're saying is, is, is I'm really interested in what you have to offer to me. And this is, I mean, interviews, I, this is a hack way. If you, if you got a job interview coming up, part of your job is to walk in and give, get, give good answers, but part of your job is also to, to walk into that interview and ask really good questions. You know, I, I, I don't know if, if, if Peyton Manning rings a bell for any of your listeners, hopefully so, because they, they pay attention to NFL football, which is the greatest, it is the greatest sport in the world, I'll just say. Um, oh, of course, no bias okay. there, of course, Brad, but you know, no, 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 you're not speaking at all. to a Canadian with hockey, but it's okay. That's fine. I won't there be you personally. Go. We, we're always second to you in hockey, so we, we only say the best sport is the one that we can be number one in, which is, uh, which is the National Football League. But right. Peyton Manning, when he went to Indianapolis, there, there's a legendary story of the, you know, the, the draft sequence and the, all that process and all the coaches and the GM and the, the, you know, the front office people said that Peyton Manning walked into a two-hour interview and the whole time just asked questions. Never gave an answer. He just asked really, really, really good questions. And, you know, he's one of the most legendary quarterbacks in the history of the game. So that, mm-hmm. that's a really important piece of this is, is curiosity and be a great question asker. Oh, I can't agree more. Thanks, Brad. And then the final one is you have hustle. Yeah, and hustle is this. I mean, it is working hard. Uh, it, it, it is that idea that you're willing to, you know, you're willing to get your, your fingernails dirty and get, you know, get down in the trenches with the team and do whatever it takes to get things done. And it also is a standard of excellence that, you know, you, you strive for, for, for perfection. Your, your potential is now your, your standard instead of just, you know, what you're doing today. Um, and that's all part of hustle. But here's what I want to make sure people understand on hustle is that you're equally hustle, you're equally as much a hustler when it comes to margin and rest and Sabbath as you are as it is to working hard. And you're equally as much a hustler as it relates to collaboration. And you're equally as much of a hustler as it relates to generosity. And all of those pieces of life, I'm, what I'm saying to people is, yeah, I, I know you can work hard. I know you're ambitious. I know you will you know, you'll work your guts out and you'll stay late and show up early. I get that. But will you, will you do that as well in all the other areas? And that's why passion is as much a part of hustle as hard work is. And generosity is as much a part of it and, mm. and rest and margin and collaboration and unity. So that's the point I want to make with hustle is that you got to be, you know, you got to be a hustler as it relates to, are you actually sleeping well? along with are you working hard during the day so if you can't if you can't hustle as, as a rester then you're going to have a hard time hustling as a worker mm. so what you're saying brad is it's this is a holistic view of hustle this is not a linear view yes exactly and you know hustle for many of us we immediately have a picture in our mind of what that is it's it's somebody who it's all about them you know they're in it they're in it to get theirs they, they, they have a protection, protectionist mentality or a hoarding mentality or a scarcity mentality. You know, it's a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. And I would say, no, it's about abundance. And it's about, um, you know, this, you, as you said, Ken, it's a holistic perspective. And all of these have to work together. And, you know, Pat Lincioni wrote a great book called The Ideal Team Player. And he, he talks about humble, hungry, and smart. 
those are the three he uses in his book. But one of the things he does really well is he, he sort of combines two out of the three or one out of the three and says, those aren't good. And I would, I would agree. Like if I'm, if I have a ton of humility, but I'm not hungry or a hustler, then I'm not going to, I'm going to have the right posture of life, but I'm not going to get anything done. Mm. And if I'm just a hustler and I have no humility, I'm going to get a whole lot done. But at the end of life, I'm going to look around and realize that, oh my gosh, like I was building all of this for me. This was all about me building the story and I'm the center of it. Um, so these have to work like three legs of a stool. And if you've got all of them working together, then the, that stool is balanced. So, you know, you can't just be a, a great leader, in my opinion, by only doing one of the three or two of the three. You have to do all three in order to, I would say, be a, a healthy and hopefully a, like a, a lifelong impactful leader. Well, thank you, Brad. Now, Brad, before I'm going to ask you a couple of final questions, but before we do that, how can listeners find out more about you and what you do and some of your services? Yeah, just my first and last name, anywhere on the internet, um, social media, Brad Lominick. So it's L-O-M-E-N-I-C-K is the last name. First name, Brad, that's pretty easy to spell. But yeah, all those, both of those together on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, my website is that same first and last name dot com, so that's the best places. Okay, great. Well, Brad, we sure appreciate you being on the show with us today. If you were to leave a couple of gems of wisdom beyond what you have shared with us so far today, what would that be for the SOS listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing, Ken, is is I would say, you know, that that um, wherever you are in life right now. It's, it's never too late to start to think about going back to what we were talking about early in the interview of calling and, you know, just discovering the, the statement or, sta- or statements on your life. Um, and that what we, what we always want to make sure is that we're moving towards that. And so if you don't know what that is, um, you know, there's lots of great tools out there. And, and I, I just I want people to, to not go to work on a Monday and absolutely hate life. And many of us today, this is true. We're, we're walking like zombies through life and through our leadership and through our jobs and through this career that now we're 20 years into it. But we're, if we're honest, we look around and go, man, I wish, I wish, I wish I could do something else. And my advice is, you know what, like, let's, let's, let's work on that. You, you may not be able to jump 100% right now, but, but let's move you towards the place where all of these pieces of life start to start to make sense for you. And you're not always going to walk in every, every day just fired up to be there in that office or that cube or wherever you walk into. But, man, I want, I want your life to feel like it matters. And, and I just want that for everybody. So there's too many of us mm. walking around that that's not true for. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you, Brad, for hanging out with us and being on the SOS show. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate you, man. Well, listeners, uh, Brad's book, Humble, Hungry, Hustle, H3 Leadership. So go online, go get that, look up, uh, get it. Um, reach out to Brad if some of the things that he said is making sense for you. And one of the resources available to you is our latest book, The Quest for Purpose, which helps you to get clear about why you're here, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, and some of the items there. And then from that clarity, 
then live a leadership life that is humble, which is hungry, which does hustle. As we end most shows, we thank you for giving us the most valuable commodity that you have, and that is your time. If you like what we're doing, if you like what's been said today, please share it, pass it on, uh, do some ratings on whatever social media platform that you are listening to this show on. We thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.